This is the third in the series of eight sermons by Christopher Love on Luke 11, verse 8. Turn with me, if you would, to that passage. Luke 11, verse 8, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. The fourth particular is this, wherein lies the difference betwixt that holy importunity in the hearts of God's people and the seeming importunity which flows from the gifts of nature. Answer, it lies in these seven things. First, an holy importunity makes a man restless till his prayers be heard. Psalm 143, 6 and 7 I stretch forth mine hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. Hear me speedily. My spirit fails. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like them that go down into the pit as a thirsty land. A thirsty land is never satisfied till it gets rain. So Psalm 119, verse 20, My soul breaks for the longing it hath. Psalm 42.1 As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. The heart never rests, never gives over running till it come to the water. Such is the importunity of a godly man. He is never quiet, never satisfied till his prayers be returned into his bosom. But it is otherwise with an hypocrite. He prays for mercy, for pardon of sin, but he can rest contented, though God doth not hear him. He can beg grace, but he can be very well satisfied without grace. Proverbs 13.4 The soul of the sluggard desires and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent maketh fat. Second, and holy importunity is known by this, that it makes a man more earnest for spiritual than temporal mercies. <clears throat> This hath been the temper of God's people. Psalm 4, 6, There be many that say, Who will show us any good? But, the, but Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Observe the difference between David's and wicked men's tempers. Their great question and desire was, Who would show them any good, any temporal good? Who would give them the increase of corn and wine? But David's heart breathed after other things after God's favor and the light of his countenance. So in Psalm 143, 6-8, I stretch forth mine hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee. Psalm 63, 1, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. David was in a wilderness. He wanted water. One would have thought he should have sought God for water, but you see David's desires run in another channel. He thirsted more for God than for water. He more desired spiritual advantages than temporal enjoyments. This importunity makes a man more to endeavor against sin 
than affliction, more to desire saving grace than common mercies. But now the heart of an hypocrite is more desirous of temporal than spiritual mercies. You read in Hosea 7.14, They have not cried unto me with their heart when they howled upon their beds. They assembled themselves for corn and wine, and they rebel against me. They howled for what? Was it for grace and spiritual blessings? No, it was for corn and wine and oil, not for grace, not for acquaintance with God. Another instance you have in Acts 8, Simon Magus offered money to purchase the Holy Ghost. What was his end in desiring the Holy Ghost? Was it to obtain a spiritual mercy? No, but it was that he might work miracles. And further, when Peter put him upon the begging of a spiritual mercy in verse 22, Pray, God, if perhaps the thoughts of thine heart may be forgiven thee. But Simon Magus followed not Peter's rule. He had no great desire of the pardon of sin or any spiritual mercy. But he prays that none of those things which Peter had spoken might come upon him. In verse 24. That is, that his money might not perish, nor he perish with it. That his gifts might not perish. This was his great request and desire. Third, and holy importunity of God's people is more insensibleness of the inward affections of the heart than in the outward expressions of words. Psalm 38, 9, All my desire is before thee, and my groanings are not hid from thee. David's heart panted and failed him, verse 10, but not a word of expressions though his expressions were very good. Romans 8.26 The Spirit helps our infirmities with sighs and groans that cannot be uttered. It is said in Revelation 5.8 The four and twenty elders had golden vials full of odors which are the prayers of the saints. They are called odors for their sweetness, golden for their excellency, and vials which are vessels of large extent in the belly but narrow-mouthed. The hearts of God's people are like vials, many times enlarged within when they are straightened in their words and expressions. There are many times most dilated desires in the hearts of the saints, and yet they are so narrow-mouthed that they are not able to utter. But now it is otherwise with hypocrites. They have more in the expression than in the action. It was God's complaint against the Jews of old. They draw nigh to God with their lips when their hearts were far from him. An hypocrite indeed performs duties, but his duties never reach to his heart. They are like a pot that is hot at the top but cold at the bottom. Fourth, and holy importunity makes a man more enlarged before God in secret than before men in public. O my dove that art in the cleft of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. The voice of Christ's church is sweet, even then when she is in secret, when none but God beholds her. Canticle 8.13, Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions hearken to thy voice. Cause me to hear it. But now an hypocrite does never care to have any secret communion with God. He cares not to pray alone, 
And if he be brought to that, he takes no care of his heart. He curbs not his thoughts. All his care is in company, popular applause and vain glory, as is the wind to the sails of a ship that makes their affections move the faster. An hypocrite in this regard may be resembled to a nightingale which sings sweetest when any man stands near her. So carnal men, when others are witnesses of their actions, when they put forth, the, then they put forth the utmost of their ability. They are of Jehu's temper. He was zealous only upon that condition that others would see it. Fifth, this holy importunity makes a godly man the more humble, the more enlarged he is to prayer. The reason is because he looks upon his enlargements not as coming from the strength of his natural parts or abilities, but as the free gift and the gracious dispensation of God's Spirit. And so he sees he hath nothing whereof to boast, and so it makes him low in his own eyes. You know a violet, that is one of the sweetest flowers, grows lowest in the earth. The fullest ears of corn do most hang down. The fullest barrels make the least noise. So the most gracious heart is the most low and vile in its own apprehension, is the nearest earth, but dust and ashes. The fuller he is of divine discoveries or enlargement, the less boasting doth he make in the world. A ship, the heavier it is laden, the less it is tossed with winds and waves. The more empty it is, the more it is lifted up above the water. So a man, the more empty, the more tossed to and fro with every wind of applause, Grace is, as it were, the ballast of the soul to keep down a man's spirits and make him humble in the midst of wit and parts. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Be sober and not puffed up. Do not boast of your enlargements. Though it is true, it doth refer to another thing, yet Byfield refers it to prayer. And he saith, That man that prays to God with most enlargedness of, the, of affections towards God, that man cannot, but he must watch and be sober. Sobriety is opposed to pride, for a man may be dumb with his own gifts and graces, and watchfulness is opposed to remissness and deadness and carelessness of spirit in the performance of duties. Thus it is with a sincere man that this true importunity in him that hath this true importunity in him. But now, wicked men, if ever they have enlargements in duty, it puffs them up. It is with them as it was with Uzziah, Second Chronicles 26.16, when God had helped him marvelously till he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. When God helps the soul of such a man in duty, it makes him to lift up himself against God and be puffed up above his brethren. Sixth, he that hath this holy importunity in him, his desires are rather quickened than abated by denials. You find this in the woman of Canaan, Matthew 15:22. She cried unto Christ, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Jesus Christ takes no notice of her. 
He answered her not a word. Verse 23. There is one discouragement. One would have thought she would have desisted. But she prayed again and the disciples besought him to send her away. Verse 23. There was another discouragement which would have knocked off the desires of many. But she continues her request still. Jesus Christ himself answers her, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Verse 24. There is a third discouragement, and yet this doth not cool her affections, but she comes afresh upon Christ. She came and worshipped, saying, Lord, help me. Verse 25. Yet she found another repulse, and that worse than any of the former. It is not meat to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. Verse 26. Christ, you see, calls her a dog. And yet all this doth not cast her off. But she takes encouragement, even from this discouraging answer. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Verse 27. She was resolved she would not give over till she got what she came for. Till Christ had said, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. Verse 28. Denials are to the saints as water to the smith's forge. When it is sprinkled upon it, it is so far from cooling or quenching it that it makes it burn with the greatest heat. So the denials and discouragements God's people meet with, they serve for bellows to blow up those sparks that are within them into a flame to make their desires stronger, their affections to burn the hotter. But now to an hypocrite, denials and discouragements to take off the wheels of his affections and make him, make them to move slowly and heavily. Job 21.15 What is the Almighty that we should serve him and what profit should we have <clears throat> if we pray unto him? We get no good by it. The mercies we ask are not yet in our hands. Now, this argues a sinful impatiency and a want of holy importunity. Seventh, holy importunity is kindled in the heart by the motions and operations of God's blessed Spirit. Galatians 4.6 Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In the time of the law, those sacrifices that were accepted were burnt with fire from heaven. Leviticus 9.24, there came fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering. And so in Elijah's time, 1 Kings 18.38, when Elijah had laid his sacrifice upon the altar of the Lord, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood so the heathen's vestal flames were kindled with sunbeams. The true importunity is from above. It is a fire kindled by God himself in the hearts of his people. But there is another importunity that comes from natural principles, from natural abilities, a strong memory, a profound judgment, a ready wit, a fluent tongue. And these are very advantageous to the duty. There is a gift of prayer as well as the grace of prayer. Some are importunate in prayer out of fleshly respects. 
Now this is but a counterfeit importunity. And thus much for the fourth particular, the difference between holy and natural importunity. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.